0: You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Angels
1: batting with a runner on and nobody out. So they're already in the bottom of the fifth. The game started about 20 minutes before we came on at 940. Uh, let's touch a little bit more on this Saquon Barkley story before we go back to the phones. Uh, one more from Jordan Renan, who was on the Michael K. show earlier today. You know, he spoke about, Uh, The sticky point for Barkley, obviously, the guaranteed money, which we discussed. When can we expect to see Saquon Barkley, see you in September? But what does this mean going forward? Because let's just say, and and the way I see it, the best-case scenario here is Barkley plays this year, probably misses training camp, most likely misses training camp, and shows up about two weeks before the Game 1 opener. The week one opener, excuse me, on uh, the 10th of September against the Dallas Cowboys practices for a couple of weeks, gets into game shape, gets up to speed on the offense and away we go and has a good season. That really at this point is best case scenario. But then we get to the end of the season. Barkley, if he stays healthy, most likely has a productive season again is there more animosity at this point between Saquon and the Giants?
0: Oh, 100%. I mentioned this and you know, I kind of got a thumbs up from someone in Saquon's camp after I said it in publicly. I think this is the beginning of the end of Saquon Barkley with the New York Giants. I mean, think about it. According to him, the deal was not sufficient, so they did not they were unwilling to commit to him long-term to what he thought was sufficient so whether that means give him hell and make sure he doesn't get the franchise tag next year be unhappy throughout this year whatever it may be I think it's the beginning of the end and at some point Saquon Barkley is going to be playing for another team not being the New York Giants
1: the only thing that you know could stand in that way next year again the Giants if they choose have the option to sign him to the franchise tag or offer him the franchise tag next season if that's in their best interest and the one guy, I don't think I've mentioned his name yet, but it's it's worth mentioning. The one key figure in all this, and, you know, like I said, the word I keep mentioning to describe the situation is unfortunate. It's unfortunate for the Giants fans, for the Giants players. Uh, it's unfortunate, first and foremost, for Saquon Barkley. The one guy in this situation who I haven't mentioned who's such a key and central figure is is Joe Shane, the general manager. And... You know, I, I think this is, if it doesn't tear apart the locker room, and I don't think it's going to tear apart the locker room. I, I, I think that there's an understanding in the NFL that, uncomfortable as this is, this is part of the business. Shane comes out, you know, a pretty significant winner here. He really stood up to the best player on the team, the face of the franchise, and dug his heels in, and ultimately did what he deems is in the best interest of the franchise. And and from a financial standpoint, I can't argue that he's wrong. And this was a pretty significant test for a first-time general manager. And the way I see it, from a business standpoint, Joe Shane passed this test with flying colors and won this battle. Now, it's still not over, right? We still need to see what Saquon Barkley's next move is you know if Barkley ends up not playing the season and it impacts the Giants offense and they can't figure things out without him and Daniel Jones takes a huge step back because he doesn't have that safety valve next to him at all times then there's no winners in this scenario and not that I'm calling Joe Shane a winner but as far as you know managing a cap and running the team and you know, budgeting for what you feel is appropriate and not going above that no matter who it's for and sticking to your guns when you feel it's in the best interest of your team, it is a pretty significant win for Joe Shane here in his first big test. Let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Marty in Maplewood. Hey, Marty.
0: Uh, How you doing, Pat? I always like your um – Your work, I look at it a little differently. Um, You're put in a position, you're being squeezed by your boss, and you're known for operating a certain way. Of course, he's, uh, of course, collegiately, he was a great running back. And, of course, primarily in the pros, he was, uh, I mean, um, they, they took him as a running back. I think he should try to tweak his brand. He's certainly a great athlete. I think he certainly has the ability to do this. You couldn't really say this about every every professional athlete, but I think Saquon Barkley should try to make himself into a, a, a slot receiver. And in other words, instead of getting something almost like a Devo Samuels, hailing the ball out of the backfield may be less than 10 times a game and 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 uh, be the object of having the ball thrown to you about uh, uh, 10, 12 times a game. And with Barkley's ability to be able to break one, as opposed to most uh, uh, slot possession receivers, uh, that who he could break one Every single time he handled the ball, uh, he wouldn't necessarily be involved in as much um, um, of the nitty-gritty of running out of the backfield. So I think the, uh, he has less chance of of getting hurt. What he's concerned about was health, and at the same time, I think if he were to take his 57 uh, re- receptions that he made this past year, and double that, and uh, and, and and in terms of yardage, gone over a thousand yards receiving, and uh, and a uh, uh, couple of hundred yards pass, uh, a couple of hundred yards running. I think he could remake his brand and remake himself into a different type of a player. And then I think he would, even if the Giants wouldn't want to pay him, I think he would be looked at differently well, around key, the league.
1: That's a key point. You just the, the, the last point you made is a key point, Marty. And, and thanks for the call. He's not playing now, and I'll address the the first part of that call in a moment. But he's not playing. He's he's not playing now for the Giants. You know, he's playing now for another team. It only takes one team to offer him what he feels he is worth. And if he, you know, last year, the San Francisco 49ers at the trade deadline traded for Christian McCaffrey, who two years prior signed a contract as the number one running back weapon in the NFL. And within two years, it didn't work for Carolina. And Carolina wanted to get off that contract. And San Francisco was the rare team That was in position to win the Super Bowl, yet they were not paying top dollar at the quarterback position. Which, in so many ways, unless you have a Patrick Mahomes or a Joe Burrow, and I know he hasn't won yet, but he's very, very close. Unless you have one of the top, top, top elite quarterbacks, the formula for winning in the NFL is to build a championship caliber team around a quarterback that is still on his rookie deal. And that's what the 49ers had last year. In fact, they had two quarterbacks, uh, Trey Lance, who lasted not even a full game, and then ultimately Brock Purdy, who took over uh, for Jimmy Garoppolo. And because Purdy was on his rookie contract and Garoppolo wasn't getting paid top dollar, um, they were able to absorb the Christian McCaffrey contract because they were going all in to win. What... Saquon Barkley needs is a similar team that is built to win, you know, defense, skill positions, offensive, defensive line, all of the key spots that you need to stack to win a championship or be a championship caliber team and yet have a quarterback on his rookie contract who's not making a lot of money. That's a team that could absorb Saquon Barkley and pay him what he feels he is worth for a year or two. But that situation is very rare. Now, the other point of the last caller, that is a very, very difficult ask for Saquon Barkley to rebrand himself as a slot receiver and turn himself into a 100 catch 1,000 yard guy. That's virtually impossible. First of all, uh saquon barkley is as successful in the running game as he is because in the running game there's two things that work in his favor number one for barkley there's always the or excuse me let me backtrack I, i misspoke he's as successful in the passing game as he is because number one the threat of what he can do in the running game okay and number two in the passing game he is matched up against linebackers all of whom he is faster than If he's on the outside and lined up as a wide receiver and he's lined up against cornerbacks, he's not faster than those guys. So he's not going to be able to beat them off the line of scrimmage and win those matchups as easily. All right? He is what he is because of the position that he plays. And he's better at that position than most players in the NFL at that spot. But I think... The Giants, when all is said and done, who has the leverage? Well, the Giants clearly have the leverage right now and did throughout this entire process. And now the question you have to ask yourself is this. If Barkley does hold out, which side, you know, Barkley or the New York Giants, which side has the better chance to be okay in the long run? And I just, I don't see how that answer can be Saquon Barkley. I really, really don't. How? Right? If he has a great season this year, he it, the Giants basically are making him sing for his supper. They offered him 10. He wanted 22. But they're going to make him have another great season before they give him the full 22. Or And by the full 22, I mean the, the other 12. And that will come in the form of a franchise tag next season. But then that brings in what Jordan Renan said earlier today about how there's animosity between Saquon and the Giants, which shouldn't surprise anybody, and how in his mind this signals the beginning of the end for Saquon Barkley in New York. How that plays out, I have no idea. But it's not good right now because Barkley's not there. He's not coming anytime soon. The Giants just lost, at least for preseason, their most important player, their best playmaker, their best offensive player. And there's no timetable in sight as far as when he might come back. All right, we're going to switch gears after we take a quick break here. Uh, Yanks and Angels are still scoreless in the bottom of the fifth, but Luis Severino is trying to pitch out of a bases loaded jam. We'll update you on that. Yankees general manager Brian Cashman, just a couple of weeks removed from the Major League Baseball trade deadline, uh, was a guest on MLB Network Radio uh, and answered some uh, questions about a couple of stars. One, Aaron Judge, who's a a Yankee right now, and one, Shohei Ohtani, who, is there a chance he could be a Yankee by the end of the season? We'll get into all that. Plus your calls on 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: And you're being squeezed by your boss, You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
1: Severino's pitching a shutout so far, which is a huge plus for the Yankees. Bottom of the fifth, he was in serious trouble. A leadoff walk and a ground rule double, so second and third with nobody out for the Angels. Again, in a scoreless game, Um, Eduardo Escobar struck out swinging. And then the shortstop and leadoff hitter Neto grounded to third base. Oswald Peraza is getting the start there. And he came home and he threw the runner out uh, at home for the second out. So that put runners on first and third. And then they intentionally walked Shohei Otani to load the bases and then Moniak came up with the bases loaded, two outs, and hit an absolute rope to right field, but right at Oswaldo Cabrera. I believe Cabrera's the right fielder tonight, and he caught it to get out of the jam. So still scoreless into the sixth inning. Now, as far as um, what the Yankees are doing offensively, it's, first of all, an interesting lineup tonight. Uh, secondly, with one out in the sixth inning, so that's six five times three, 15, 16 outs recorded by the Yankees. And uh, 11 of those 16 have been via the strikeout. Stanton has struck out twice. Volpe has struck out twice. Cabrera has struck out twice. Torres, Rizzo, Bader, Kiner, Falefa, Trevino have all struck out once, which leaves the only guy who hasn't struck out today. And that's the leadoff hitter. And that is the aforementioned Oswald Peraza. So he not only gets to start at third base for the Yankees tonight, but Aaron Boone, put him in the leadoff spot. Now, Peraza had a big base hit in extra innings, in the Yankees' brutal loss yesterday to Colorado. It was followed by a terrible base-running blunder where he was thrown out at third base to end the inning, trying to grab an extra base. The old saying in baseball, you never, ever want to make the first out or the third out at third base, and Peraza did. Now, at the time, it didn't seem like a huge deal because the Yankees had... Already scored two runs and took a two nothing, uh, excuse me, a two run lead into the bottom of the eleventh, and then we know how that turned out: a two run home run and then a solo shot, and the Yankees lost that game eight to seven. But tonight, Peraza in the leadoff spot has a base hit and he also has a couple of walks. His first at bat was an eight pitch walk, then he got a single, and his third at bat was a nine pitch walk. So that's exactly what. You want your leadoff hitter to do and for all of the problems of the Yankees offense this season from underperformance of guys like Stanton and Rizzo and Torres and LeMay and Josh Donaldson who we'll get to in a moment. The problem is the Yankees don't have a leadoff hitter and this is actually a problem that goes back to the end of last season. You know, in that Houston series, and look, the end of last year, the Yankees had such a big lead in the division, and the main thing turned into the home run chase for Aaron Judge. So in the month of September, Judge let off every game to maximize the number of at-bats that he would get and maximize the number of chances to break Roger Maris' home run record. It didn't really jeopardize the Yankees in the standings. They had a comfortable lead in the AL East, and... Ultimately, it worked out for everyone. Yankees won the division. Uh, Judge broke the record, but he's not a leadoff hitter, and he shouldn't be batting leadoff, and he wasn't the leadoff hitter once the playoffs came. The problem is the two guys on the Yankees roster last year that were best suited to be leadoff guys were both injured and not playing. DJ LeMahieu and Andrew Benatendi, who was a Yankee for a hot second. And ever since then, and that was a huge problem for the Yankees last year in the playoffs, and it's been a huge problem for them this year. I mean, you think about the guys they've tried in the leadoff spot, whether it was uh, Anthony Volpe for a time. Volpe's on base percentage, and as I say that, he just lined a base hit into left field, so the Yankees have a couple of runners on and two outs here in the top of the sixth inning. Volpe's on base percentage is .280. They have tried Anthony Rizzo there. He's actually got a 341 on on-base percentage, and he's one of the few Yankees that has an OBP above 300. Glaber Torres is another, and they've tried him there. Uh, DJ LeMahieu, who's not in the lineup today, I think ideally the Yankees would like LeMahieu to be in that leadoff spot, but not if he produces the way he has been playing for the last year and a half. Ideally, the Yankees would get the production from DJ LeMahieu that they got. In 2021 and in 2020, his first couple of years with the Yankees. But tonight they tried out Oswald Peraza. And the most important thing to come out of today is that, and this should make Yankees fans happy. It seems like, it seems like we have seen the last of Josh Donaldson in pinstripes. Um, Donaldson was diagnosed with a high-grade calf strain. He spoke with the media from Anaheim before tonight's game. He's still with the team, got an MRI. Essentially, Donaldson's not sure if he's going to make it back this season. And I've got to think that if you're Aaron Boone and if you're Brian Cashman, you're probably not asking Josh Donaldson every other day, hey, how are you feeling? Are you ready to come back? We could really use you. Do you think you can get back this week? Do you think you're close to getting back? I- I've got to think they're they're content with him. Being on the shelf and, you know, letting it run its course as long as it possibly can until you hopefully get to the end of the season and you could just put everyone out of your misery. Because it's funny, this is an era of Yankees baseball and it kind of goes with the production of the team, which has been less than ideal. But during the last two years of Yankees baseball, and I've spoken about this often the Yankees have had three of the most unpopular Yankees I could ever remember, from Joey Gallo to Aaron Hicks and now to Josh Donaldson. And, and, and it got me thinking, like, who were some other just ridiculously unpopular Yankees throughout the years? Now, all for different reasons. Joey Gallo was not a bad guy. Um, you know, he just he came to New York he his hitting model was flawed anyway, you know he was a swing for your he- from your heels kind of guy. He did draw some walks, but he just didn't draw enough of them, struck out too much, and didn't hit enough home runs, which is what he was supposed to do. Aaron Hicks, I think the Yankee fan just grew frustrated with the amount of times that he was injured, but early in his Yankees tenure, Aaron Hicks had some good moments for the Yankees, but as time went on. Uh, injuries chipped away at his production, did not make him available as much as he needed to be, and then it all cratered last year when even though he was available, he was not playing well, and then he had some really regrettable moments where he misjudged balls in the field and then gave up on plays, and it just kind of like snowballed to the point where he couldn't play in the Bronx anymore. Josh Donaldson, I think, that was the worst of the three of them. And I said this often about Donaldson. You watch Donaldson walk around um, the dugout, walk around during batting practice. Josh Donaldson was the AL MVP, I believe, in 2015. So we're talking eight years ago. And it's funny. It's the Yankees have three guys on their team that were most valuable players. Donaldson, John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge. One of them's hurt. Two of them aren't remotely close to the players who they were when they were MVPs. But it's very rare to have three guys on a roster who have been the league MVP. Josh Donaldson, if you ever watch him, he still walks around like he won the MVP last year. He really does, which is insane. The man is a 147 hitter. He has never hit. He has never produced during his brief time with the Yankees. He is kind of antithetical to everything that this team used to be when it was successful. And he has become, in many ways, the face of their offensive futility. So if this is indeed the last we've seen of Josh Donaldson in a Yankees uniform, I think every single Yankees fan should stand up and applaud. Yay! Thank you. Now, Brian Cashman, a guest on MLB Network Radio, uh, was asked about the state of this Yankees team. Uh, as Richard from Manhattan pointed out during his mathematics lesson earlier this hour, uh, the Yankees are indeed six games above 500, tied for fourth place, also tied for last place in the American League East, and just a couple of games behind the final wild card spot in the American League. Uh, first and foremost, when pertaining to the Yankees, here's Cashman. When will we see Aaron Judge back?
2: He's checking those boxes in a positive way. You know, he's doing some running. You know, the hitting uh, is going well. But, you know, ultimately, you know, as long as he keeps responding to the added workload, I think we'll get a better, more clear picture after this road trip.
1: All right, this road trip comes to an end on Wednesday. Yankees are off on Thursday, and then they open a series against the Royals at the stadium on Friday night. So when Cashman's saying that you hope to get some More answers after this road trip. That's only two days away. Meredith Morakovitz had a report on yes before the game that Judge was in the batter's box. No, listen to me. This is actually serious, too, because you may think I'm kidding. Um, Judge was in the batter's box during BP today, but he didn't take any swings. He was just tracking pitches. So that's apparently where he is in his rehab. Uh, Trade deadline is two weeks away, August 1st. Today is July 17th, August 1st at 6 p.m. What are the Yankees trying to do at the deadline?
2: Yeah, I think well, it's always I, I would think every general manager is going to you know respond with the pitching, pitching, pitching always regardless. So even though yes, we, you know we uh, we just got Rodon back and then Nestor Cortez is due back. Obviously, we got to get Sevey online and get him firing uh, like the Seve of old. You know, and Schmidt just came off a great start and Herman's been fantastic for us. And so we got a lot of pitching depth there, but uh, that doesn't preclude us from being open you know to adding starting pitching or, or bullpen. We've lost some important bullpen pieces the way uh, out injuries or obviously suspension and so I think we'll look at the pitching side and then to answer your question yeah you know, we'll continue to focus on adding maybe a bat there to, uh, that could be a more of established everyday offensive contributor in left field if that's viable or not you know remains to be seen so you know whether it's a you know a right-handed bat that would platoon with what we already have or whether it's a full bore everyday position that can lock it down against lefties and righties it all remains to be seen as we move forward and what's obtainable and you know, if the prices can match with us.
1: His obsession with right-handed bats you play at yankee stadium it is 314 feet down the right field line your lineup for about six years has already been too right-handed hitting heavy and you mentioned a right-handed bat oh geez a right-handed bat this team is entirely too right-handed and it all can be traced back to when he thought in 2017, that he fleeced the Marlins and only had to give up Starlin Castro and a couple of minor leaguers for the reigning National League MVP, who happened to be, wait for it, a right-handed bat to pair with another right-handed bat in Yankee Stadium. One is enough when it's Aaron Judge. Two When your team is centered around that, and by the way, they still had Gary Sanchez at the time, who, let me check real quick, yes, a right-handed bat. Two is too many. Three is entirely too many when your entire lineup is based on that. What this Yankees team needs, it's simple. They don't need starting pitching. They don't. The starting pitching is adequate, especially if you can get Nestor Cortez back. Now, a depth arm at the back end of the rotation, fine. But that shouldn't be the focal point. He went through starting pitching. He went through relief pitching. He went through right-handed bat. I'm glad he recognizes that the team needs a little bit of help in left field. He finally said that at the end of his long-winded 56-second answer. A right-handed bat. We're we're lousy with right-handed bats in the Bronx. How about a left-handed bat? Here's a left-handed bat. Brian Cashman. On MLB Network Radio, will the Yankees trade for Shohei Ohtani?
2: Well, I wouldn't be able to speak to any specific names out there, but uh, but you know, who's to say that that particular name's out there either? So um, you know, I know Anaheim like us, they're trying to to get after it, or Los Angeles like us, they're trying to get after it and find a way to, to, to qualify. And um, so I'll let you. I don't know if you got Perry Menazian on the uh, on the <laughs> schedule for today's. Uh, um, Broadcast, but if you if you do, then you can ask him about his his business. But I'm definitely interested in improving our our uh, chances as we move forward here in this final you know push.
1: All right, so the Yankees finally get a big base hit there in the top of the sixth inning. They loaded the bases with two outs, and as Waldo Cabrera a two run ground rule double into the left center field gap. Yankees all actually caught a tough break by it going over the wall. Otherwise, the runner would have scored from first base as well. But a huge two-out, two-run double by Oswaldo Cabrera. So the Yankees have a 2 nothing lead heading to the bottom of the sixth inning in Anaheim against the Los Angeles Angels. Joe, do they still do the chimes at the stadium? They don't, do they? No, they do. Oh, they still do? They still do. The Winchester chimes are alive and well at Yankee Stadium. Uh, is it just home runs or is it any run? Uh, I believe it's... Any run, but... Really? I guess they just haven't been scoring. No, they haven't been hitting a lot of home runs or scoring at Yankee Stadium recently. All right. Well, maybe maybe if they got a left-handed bat in here.
2: Maybe if they got Shohei Ohtani.
1: That would help. Uh, Severino's back out there in the bottom of the sixth inning. He was at 81 pitches through five shutout innings. Uh, So Severino having... You know, maybe his best start of the season, and it couldn't have come at a better time for him or the Yankees. I mean, look, the Yankees need any any help they can get, and and Severino coming into tonight was on the verge of losing his spot in the rotation as soon as Nestor Cortez comes back. So a really good sign for him. Uh, long way to go. One quick note: I know we got to take a break here. Um, when you're looking at the Yankees at the trade deadline, their their bullpen is not as good as the numbers indicate. And it hasn't been all season long. And if you look back over the last couple of weeks, you are starting to see some significant cracks in that bullpen. They pitched above their heads for the first three months of the season. It's not a bad bullpen, but it's not one that you can afford to, for example, take your ace, who's the best pitcher in the league this year, and Garrett Cole, have him give you six innings and just put your feet up and expect the bullpen to take you home. Unfortunately for the Yankees, they don't have that kind of bullpen. They need outfield help from the left side of the plate and they need at least another arm to plug in the top half of that bullpen and maybe two. Those are improvements the Yankees need at the trade deadline. But these next you know, uh, six to nine games, this series against the Angels, the next series against the Royals this weekend at Yankee Stadium are going to be huge. Where are the Yankees going to be in the standings after those two series? The Angels are a team that's beat up without Mike Trout They don't have to face Otani on the mound this week. Um, No Anthony Rendon. They're an injured team that's really struggling. And then the Royals are one of the worst teams in baseball. So can the Yankees, and I know I've been saying this for two weeks, and they didn't do it against the Cubs, and they certainly didn't do it against the Rockies this weekend, but can the Yankees beat up on these two teams and put themselves in position to make a run at it just ahead of the trade deadline? These next six games for the Yankees are absolutely crucial. It's Pat O'Keefe on ESPN New York tonight here in 987.
0: He stinks. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight.
1: It's two to one Yankees. Severino is likely done for the evening. So again, we'll see if the Yankees' bullpen has three innings in them to get them home. But it's a similar situation to yesterday. And I know yesterday's a little different because you probably want a seventh inning out of Cole. But he threw six innings, he threw 102 pitches, he struck out 11 batters. That had a lot to do with the uh, increased pitch count. But, you know, they left too much work to do for the Yankees' bullpen. This is different. You you love, love this performance by Luis Severino. Love it. Uh, ESPN.com for the last week and a half has been ranking the top ten players at every position. And today, they released the list that really everyone was interested in and the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. It illustrates, as you look at the two teams in New York, why the Jets are obviously the team getting all of the attention, and rightfully so, and that'll only increase when Hard Knocks gets there later this week and starts to air their uh, their features probably sometime next week. But it illustrates why, dis- even though the Jets... Will, will, in my mind, be greatly improved with Aaron Rodgers and hopefully building on what they were able to do last year. It's still going to be very difficult for them to get into the playoffs, whereas the Giants, um, even if Saquon Barkley is not a big factor or a factor at all on this Giants team, there is a much clearer pathway to the playoffs for the Giants. And, and the reason is simple. Just look at the quarterbacks. In each conference. So Mahomes is one. Okay. I, I, I'm i there. Same with Joe Burrow at number two. And Josh Allen at number three. I think that is the consensus top three for most people. All of them AFC quarterbacks. The fourth quarterback on the list. Also now in the AFC. And that's where they put Aaron Rodgers. And I guess the people. And this is voted by coaches, scouts, executives throughout the NFL My read on this is that the thinking is similar to my thinking. I think Aaron Rodgers still has one and maybe two very good years in him. Last year was not a very good year. It was fine by most people's standards. He certainly took a step back from his previous two years, both of which he was the league MVP. But I think that that was a byproduct of young receivers Things had just grown stale in Green Bay. The talent on the team seemed to erode a little bit more year after year, and he just wasn't the same guy. Now, new environment, young team, a lot of talent around him, a lot of excitement. I I think this is a guy in need of a fresh start, and and I think that it leads to him being closer to the guy he was two years ago. I don't think last year was the beginning of a steep decline, Uh, Towards the tail end of his career. I think he is rejuvenated this season. And I agree with him being that high up in these rankings. Number five, another AFC quarterback in Justin Herbert. I think that's too high for him. Let's let the guy win something first. Maybe a playoff game before we put him ahead of, for example, the guy who's number six on this list. The guy who almost won the Super Bowl and almost was the NFL MVP last year in Jalen Hurts. But there, right there. Top five quarterbacks according to this poll, all of them in the AFC. You got to go down to number six before you find someone, Jalen Hurts from the NFC. And then at number seven, Lamar Jackson. So we're back in the AFC. And we're still in the AFC at number eight in Trevor Lawrence. So seven of the top eight quarterbacks in the NFL are from the AFC. And then things go off the rails a little bit with Dak Prescott at number nine and Matthew Stafford at number 10. There's an honorable mention list. There's a list of those also receiving notes. Who do I think doesn't belong on this list? Who do I think does belong on this list? We'll get into that when we come back here on ESPN New York tonight. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets.